Though it is, Place of Beast is one of the most iconic of D&D monsters, and even appeared in Honor Among Thieves looking damn cool. The Displacer Beast isn't in the 5 ESRD, meaning that D&D products not made by Wizards of the Coast can't use them. Ironically, the Displacer Beast was inspired by Coriel, an alien hunting cat with pentacles on its shoulders, that appears in A.E. Von Vogt's story Black Destroyer in July of 1939. Coriel tracked down the crew of a spaceship one by one, killing them, until it gets tricked into going into a escape pod where it gets shot into space. So the Displacer Beast came from the same inspiration as the Xenomorphs from Aliens. But let me tell you, Displacer Beast kittens are still cuter than facehuggers. <laughs> And now we present to you Thacko with Advantage. Welcome to Thacko with Advantage. We're two friends that have been playing D&D a long time. While we both love lots of other RPGs, D&D is the bag of snacks at the back of the shelf that you thought you already ate. Hi, I'm Ange, and I've been gaming for over 35 years. In 2014, I started writing for Gnome Stew, and I've been running the Gnomecast, the Stew's podcast, since 2017. A few years ago, they also made me head gnome, so I guess I'm in charge of the whole damn thing. <laughs> And I'm Jared, the review gnome at Gnome Stew, and I've been gaming since roughly 1985. In addition to writing reviews at Gnome Stew, I've got my own site, whatdoiknowjr.com, where I write additional reviews and opinion pieces on a variety of RPGs. So after we look at the games we're running in our campaign journal, we'll be talking about how to recap your previous game sessions. And then we'll have some recommendations of D&D-related content for you to check out in our downtime research segment. Let me just finish up this campaign journal. So... The holidays are always the worst for game consistency. Yep. Um, and then after Christmas, I got pretty sick. There's a reason I wasn't in our last episode. <laughs> so thank you to Chris for filling in for me. <laughs> but I have gotten to play in both of the Saturday D&D games that my uh, two groups have been playing. Because I've been sick, it's been hard to keep my focus in place. But thankfully... The group as a whole, you know, the two groups are pretty chill and we support each other. In the campaign formerly known as Underdark, which we haven't been in any Underdark in a while, <laughs> we continued on in the jungles of Chult. We first helped some devout soldiers defending their encampment against a wave of undead. That was easy enough, so on to the rest of the journey. We arrived at the location, which was a fortress built around a volcano, uh, because of course it is. <laughs> We conned our way in the gate and were able to make our way into the fortress. Confession time. Because I usually take a back seat in this game, I only just realized this last session that our mission was to find the Book of Vile Darkness and destroy it. <laughs> it sounds like you could have used a good recap there. <laughs> you know, there, there's better recap, and I knew we were headed to this place in, in Chult, and it was a jungle journey, but the fact that it's... You know, like this known <laughs> artifact thing was like, oh, oh, that's what this is. Okay, then. Uh, we're very close to where we need to be uh, and also probably very close to a fight, but it was after midnight, so we basically called it at that point. The City of Cal's campaign also picked up. Um, we were in this old abandoned dragonborn city, made our way into one of the major areas and came across a wealth demon and all its minions that we fought. That was a tough fight and made me very angry. He took my winged boots. <laughs> Those are part of my personality. You can't have my... You, you know how some magic items just become integral to your character? Uh-huh. Those winged boots are part of Dove's personality. He can't have them. 
Uh, and he basically made them disappear off her feet and appear in front of him where he was going to eat them. Luckily, we killed him before that happened. After that, we made our way further into the place. We came across a kobold. We ended up, um, well, Anu ended up charming him and convincing him to take us to see his lady, basically the copper dragon that's in charge of the place, which thankfully she did because those are kobolds designed to be a challenge for 11th level characters, (laughs) which meant if we hadn't had somebody to guide us past all of the traps... It was it was gonna be bad. Kobold ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, uh, when we met Melistu, the Copper Dragon, we we had a moment of tension where she's like, "You charmed one of my people," and we're like, "No, no, no! It was just it was just to get here to see you. It's all okay." So Dove had to step up and be social and charming and and calm the situation down. Um, but we explained the situation. Uh, and kind of came to an arrangement. She would give us the artifact armor that she has in exchange for us helping her defeat the blue dragon down in the valley, and she would get his horde as a replacement, except for the artifact we need from him. (laughs) So that's where we pretty much ended things, and we will pick up this coming Saturday. <laughs> I'm actually really, really glad I'm not running right now. Um, his recovering from being sick is just taking forever. <laughs> I had, speaking of people that make a magic item part of their personality, it doesn't seem like it would be, but I had a friend that was playing a cleric of helm in a long-term campaign and he had a plus four defender. And I had this great big fight with a nightshade and nightshades in 3.5 can just break magic items. Oh. And I broke his defender and like that was that just gutted him because there was something about it being a defender that played with him being a cleric of helm and it just made sense to him and Oh. It was bad. That's really sad. <laughs> Bean DM. I didn't kill any players. I killed a sword. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the beginning of the year and I've had some health related loose ends to tie up. Actually, my wife has had some problems with her heart. She has an internal defibrillator now, so my wife is now a cyborg. But <laughs> due to um, having to schedule around that, we I really haven't had any games yet in 2024. Um, I did send a message out to my my monthly Saturday group that kind of dissolved to try and get them back together again. So we'll see if that works out. That's all I got for gaming so far. I would like to hear what happens with that Saturday group. Because mm-hmm. they were having some interesting adventures. Oh, yeah. I was having a blast running for him. And hopefully we'll get back to our game next week. All right. So now we're going to step into the Dungeon Master's Workshop and we are going to talk about recapping your game sessions. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Workshop. I think we should start this with a very simple question, Ange. Why do we need to recap game sessions? To be fair, most of us are busy people with busy lives. As adults, as much as we love gaming, there's a lot that ends up happening between sessions. So recapping helps get everyone on the same page, covers the important highlights of what happened in the past, and let's be completely honest here, not everyone at the table can commit the same level of 
dedication to the game as other people. So not everyone can take notes. Not everyone is going to have the ability to remember everything that happened. People have stuff going on. And giving folks that recap at the beginning of session kind of, I don't want to say levels the playing field, but it puts everyone on the same starting space for that session. What's funny about this is when we were, when we were discussing this topic, I was thinking about video games and RPGs that I play on the computer. If I don't play something on the computer for like a month or so, I am lost and have to start that one over again. Oh yeah, I pretty much have to start a new playthrough. So it is interesting how that that disconnect, there is a certain amount of time when even though you vaguely remember the thing you were doing, the specifics are just out of your head. It really does help the game keep moving forward, especially if you care about that continuity of story that happens from game to game. Some people don't care. Some people just want to like get in there and punch some monsters in the face and they don't really care about the ongoing story. So mm-hmm. they're like, whatever. But some of us, some of us care a little too much about the story of our games. <laughs> some of us write like 30 some page uh, recap documents. <laughs> it's me. I don't endorse that. But if you want to, when did you first realize that you needed to recap a game session? <laughs> I'm going to say this happened in the 2000s. I've been in my 20s since the beginning of the 90s, but I won't say I was an adult gamer until the 2000s Mm because, you know, everything in the early 90s was very college oriented. And then I had a gap of like seven, eight years Mm -hmm. of not playing in person. I did a bunch of stuff online with people, but it wasn't the same tabletop RPG stuff. It wasn't the VTT based online gaming we have now. Yeah. But in the 2000s, when I met my current group, who, if you're interested, I did a Gnomecast episode this past fall celebrating the 20th anniversary of gaming with some of those folks, and it's an episode I'm pretty happy about. That's Gnomecast 174, Gaming Anniversary. Check it out on misdirectedmark.com. Anyway, once we started gaming together, we realized it really helped, you know, those who took notes share what happened. So we're not stumbling into something dumb that we should know better about or like bypassing an NPC that we were supposed to be finding or just that type of thing. So did you ever have a DM that recapped and you just didn't think about it like they did it, but you never thought of it as something that the DM is supposed to be doing? I don't think so. Back in the day, Tom, my first GM, I don't think he ever did that. I don't think that was a a thought in our heads as teenage dirtbag gamers. <laughs> so speaking of that, though, did you need a recap? Like, it, or was did things just stay fresher in your mind when you were younger and playing? You know what? I'm going to be completely honest here. I have a really good memory. Hmm. Um, I've always had a really good memory. So I was usually the person in the group who was like, okay, we're here. We're doing this and we're doing this because of this reason. And I would take my own notes a lot of the times. In fact, I remember being really proud of these goofy notes I took for one of Tom's D&D games and trying to share it with one of my friends in the superhero game. They're like, I don't understand any of this. None of this makes any sense. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's not as charming as I thought it was. Okay, never mind. But I was the person who usually remembered what was going on anyway. So I didn't need a GM to recap because I had the recap in my head. I I still have friends who refer to me as 
the memory of our friend group. Because <laughs> they'll be like, hey, Ange, what happened at this event? And I'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And just like tell everyone like what I remember about happening at that event. I don't necessarily remember specific details like names and that type of details, but I remember the gist of things and the feelings of things. So I generally didn't need the GM to recap. And I know that my GM in the 90s didn't really recap things. He was much more of an old school GM than I realized. Like thinking back on it, it was very much, even though it was not D&D, it was superheroes, it was not it was very much you are on your own. If you touch the wrong thing, that's your own fault. Very old school in that style of play. What's interesting to me is I quit gaming like you did, like towards the end of the 90s. I hadn't gamed for a couple of years. I missed the back half of AD&D second edition. And I got back in once third edition came. I, I got back in because I watched Lord of the Rings and was like, oh, my gosh, I need to play a ranger. <laughs> and then I jammed again. It was probably better off missing the end of the 90s when it came to D&D. Yeah, there was there was some messes. It was a little messy. But it was really funny because once I started, you know, I that this was the first time I looked for people to game with that I didn't already know. Mm -hmm. And it really was a lot different because it wasn't this thing where I was sitting there with my friends talking about the game every other day because we're already hanging out. These are people that have their own lives. And most of the time we were hanging out, it was just about the game and it wasn't in between those games. So that's when I started to kind of realize that this isn't the most important thing to them, even if it is important to them. So we may need to touch base and get everybody back on track again. That's a really good point. The other thing was that now I try and keep intervals a little bit more regular, like two weeks between games. Mm -hmm. But at the time, all of us were just kind of scheduling when we could. That led to like, sometimes it was two weeks, sometimes it was three weeks, sometimes it was a month. I sometimes think that having the variable amount of time, even if it's like three weeks one time and two weeks the other time, it gets your brain out of that rhythm of thinking about the game and being you know invested in it. I think that type of scheduling can work for some groups, but you have to have somebody very dedicated at being the cat wrangler. Yes. And making sure that, you know, the date is found and everyone is scheduled. And I have one group. The membership has changed over the years for that group, but a sort of group that has been able to continue for quite a few years with us playing like that. Mm -hmm. But it's because we usually have somebody who is strongly dedicated enough to that game that they're willing to take the effort to find those dates where we can play. We try yeah. and play once a month, but it invariably, like we played in October and then we played in November and then we didn't get to play again until January 5th. Let me tell you, being sick and <laughs> making myself get to the computer to be able to play, you know, I, I had my finger on that mute button, so every time I broke into a coughing fit, I wasn't coughing in everyone's ears, although I found out my microphone mutes that pretty well, so. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we won't get to play again until, like, the 16th of February, because just people have busy lives, mm -hmm. you know? So in that group, we also need that regular recap oh, of yeah. what happened the last time. Okay, so what kind of information do you want to impart when you are getting ready to play? 
a lot of times what I will do when I am the GM is I will ask the players if they remember where we parked. <laughs> you know, it's like, where did we park this the this game? And find out what they remember about our last session. Because mm-hmm. to me, what they know about the game and where we're going is the most important thing to me. I've I've shared this anecdote before in my Veterans of the Gauntlet campaign. I asked the players, what do you remember about the last session? And they were so excited about these cultists that they fought. And I was like, I just threw those at them <laughs> to have just a combat encounter. I didn't really intend to do much with these cultists, but I guess they were really important to them. Okay, then. Most of the time, it's where the party is, what their goals were. Um, because that is something I'll ask at the end of a session is what do you in- intend to do next? Mm-hmm. So I have an idea of what to prep. So I will remind them of that so they can actually use what I prepped. <laughs> you know, basically, it, if you are a video game player, it's like looking at your journal mm-hmm. and seeing what quests you're on. What do you need to do next for those quests? Yeah. And by the way, I hate journal entries that tell you the last thing you need to do for a quest instead of the next thing you need to do. Yeah, I know I need to go to that castle eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think the good guidelines, it's like the old journalism thing of who, what, why, where. Yeah. If you are addressing each one of those things, you are probably going to provide useful information to start the game with. One of the things that I think is interesting, though, um, now that you bring this up and you're, you've been talking about how much that you have done recaps for your groups is that I, as a GM can think of a ton of stuff that I want to impart to people and keep track of what's going on. And I have my spreadsheets and all this stuff like that. But as a player, no matter how hard I try, if there is something that is specifically someone's side quest that isn't part of the main quest, those things just fall out of my head. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember them. And I feel bad because if I'm, you know, that's part of why I don't, want to volunteer to be the recap person because I may remember the main quest, but I'm going to miss all sorts of side things that that person sees as important. And I feel terrible because I can't remember what's going on with them. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I could see that being an issue. I I don't know that I would say I would, I would tell you don't feel too guilty about it because it is up to the individual player to, to understand what they need for their character. Now, if the whole group is on this side quest and you're just like, I don't remember what we did last time. It didn't have anything to do with me. Well, then that's a little (laughs) bit of a different problem. Why did we go to Sambia in the first place? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the and the thing is, I also want to preface this by by saying it's not that I don't remember it as soon as we start doing it either. But for me to recap at the beginning of the session, I do not remember it. Like as soon as somebody says like, oh, my family member stole this deed to this land and I'll be like, yeah, I remember that. But it like up front trying to remember it, I can't do it. It just will not stick in my head. I will say as a, as a GM, I feel like one of the opportunities that exists in the recap is to set the stage for what you're doing next. Mm-hmm. You know, you can use that recap to kind of funnel your players in the direction you need them to go. We want our players to have agency and make their own decisions, but there are times that the players want to be, I have a ticket for this ride. Make it fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're going to be okay with you kind of as long as it's an enjoyable, engaging thing. 
funnel them towards where you need them to go. I am going, I was going to ask this a little bit later in the discussion, but I'm going to pull this forward because you brought it up. So like, what else can you do with a recap other than just literally telling people what they're doing in the moment so they can start playing the game? You can advance time. That's true. If you ended the session at a point where the players could have some time to rest and they don't need to rush into the next thing, you could be like, okay, it's been two weeks. And, you know, let them maybe have some time at the beginning of the session to talk about what they would have done in those two weeks. But here you had two weeks of downtime. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. As I said, you can set up where you want the players to go. You as the GM can prepare materials, handouts that reference stuff from the previous adventure that lead them to the next one. There's a lot of different things you can do with the recap to just make it more engaging for your players, but also make your life easier as a GM. <laughs> there is something I was going to mention that I like doing in recaps that didn't actually help us as much in one situation where it came up. But if you find treasure at the end of an adventure, I think the recap is a good time to remind people you found this sword, this axe, this suit of armor, 10,000 gold pieces, just so that, you know, people remember, okay, we have some bookkeeping to do. We have to figure out who's, you know, carrying what. Now, the problem with that is if you do that in one session and then nobody touches that treasure for two, two additional sessions and then the third session, <laughs> you try and remember how much treasure you had. Yeah, yeah. It really helps to have an accountant in the group. <laughs> I, I, this is not a job I would force upon anybody. It is a job I have willingly taken on for many of my D&D groups as a player. This is a half-formed idea I'm going to throw out there to our virtual Bob to pin this for us. And that is, it's kind of interesting. Original uh, older D&D had like, this is the caller, this is the mapper, this is, you know, it, I think it would be interesting to revisit the actual roles people have in modern D&D. <laughs> because I think there are some table roles that do kind of emerge in groups, and they're not the same ones that used to be there from the start of the game. Well, it also depends on how you're playing. All of my games that have played in Shard, we don't need an accountant. Shard is fantastic about distributing the treasure. You have a party treasure. Any of the monetary treasure, you can just select and hit distribute, and it will evenly mm. distribute it amongst the players and leave the, like the, the odd bits still in party treasure. Each person can claim which item in the treasure they want. Otherwise, you can just say who's carrying it and all of that and deal with it when you get to town. Yeah, that's another thing I was going to um, bring up later is how do VTTs uh, you know, affect recaps? Yeah. You know, if you're playing with a VTT, that is something that is a good tool for helping you recap things. Yeah, um, we, can, we can touch on that when we get to it because there's some other things I want to say about VTTs. Okay. So how much information is too much information when you're recapping? If your player's eyes start to glaze <laughs> over, if they start building dice towers, if they start, I don't want to say if they start doodling because I have players who concentrate better when they're doodling, but if you have obviously lost the attention of your players, you've given too much. I try, I try not to give out too much. Like, you know, you don't need the entire history of Yurazaza and her political dealings with the Dragon Empire and how there's a silver dragon that ruled this area before her that got killed and all that. You don't need all that. So I'm not going to recap all of that. But there are times when 
there may be something that was relevant like five sessions ago that hasn't been on the front burner that I might throw in there just to remind you like way back before you started doing all these side quests, there was this thing that was boiling out there and maybe it's time to check on it. I was actually thinking about that because at the beginning of the campaign, you had us create some NPCs Mm -hmm. and this wasn't anything that I put thought or energy into. It was like on the fly. Uh, here's an NPC. (laughs) You brought her up again recently. And I was like, who? Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I remember creating her. There are a lot of things that can happen at the beginning of a campaign that you ask for player input on that may not cement into their brains Mm -hmm. as much as you think it should or would. Yeah. So it helps to, like, if you are going to be introduced, you know, bringing up NPCs from their past, you may want to reference where those NPCs are from. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sometimes it's also worth like, you know, what I'm thinking about bringing up older stuff into a thing is, hey, remember, you guys realize that you have a bounty on your head and there's an assassin looking for you. Like, you haven't run into this assassin for two se- sessions, <laughs> but maybe, maybe you want to remember that, even though it may not be an immediate problem. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you usually deliver information? Most of the time, it's just at the beginning of a session, it's an informal discussion about what happened last time or what they're planning on doing next. Some stuff, it is useful to have a repository of information for your campaign. I love being able to go to a resource that lists all of the NPCs mm-hmm. that we've dealt with or all of the places we've been. I've been using Kanka.io for my Depths of Zendric campaign. I've been using Goblin's Notebook and... I like it. The only thing I worry about is there are ways to show people things that you want them to see and hide other things. And I'm always paranoid that I'm going to forget some of the, <laughs> these things. And have, Here's the end of the campaign, everyone. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so part of why I wanted to ask this question is just because I'm a huge dork and I was going to bring this up. But this is not D&D, but the very first Monster of the Week game that I ran, I decided that at the beginning of every session... I was going to have a PowerPoint that basically did the recap that they did for Supernatural. So I would have like (laughs) a picture that was thematic to what they did show up on screen. And I would have some like classic rock thing playing in the back of the, uh, the image as these things were popping up. And I was such a dork when I did that, but I had fun doing it. (laughs) I mean, I'm personally very fond of Nagrat's diary <laughs> that was the the recap mechanism we had for the, the storm king's thunder campaign we briefly played the the one thing i was worried about that is i was intentionally writing it from his perspective so i was kind of afraid that other people were going to read this and go i don't know why he's worried about this i don't know why he cares about <laughs> this. um there was another thing that i did for our recaps in our eberron game when you all work for the newspaper uh-huh. and that was i framed the the opening narration as like a newspaper headline and that's what we kind of had for our uh recap that started the game off i did something similar well not exactly the same thing i did something like that for an east texas university campaign where it was the school newspaper and i put like references to things they did in the last session but also articles that referenced stuff that they were going to be dealing with in the future it like a couple of small little blurbs talking about things they had done in the past but then the headline article 
was about the star quarterback of the football team, Go Ravens, uh, and some of the weird <laughs> things that were going on with him that they were going to be dealing with very soon. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this cute, kitschy way of sharing information that they've dealt with and stuff they're going to be dealing with in a very thematic way for that game and campaign. I think one of the things that you can use to deliver information is effective, but it has its drawbacks. And by that, I mean email. Because when I first started realizing I needed to recap things for people back, you know, when I started playing in the early 2000s again, email is what I was trying to do to keep everybody going. And the problem with that is email is great. You can put your bullet points in there and say, hey, we're playing tomorrow night. These are all the things there. But not everybody checks their email. Nope. And sometimes when somebody is busy and they have a bunch of other things they're doing, they see that the email came from their DM and they're like, that's low priority. Email is what I look at for work. And that can be an issue if you are using email for something like that. I think it's important to understand that not everybody at the table is going to be able, and I said this at the very beginning of the session, the, the episode, not everyone is going to be able to commit the same level of energy and commitment mm-hmm. to the game. And I don't want to fault anybody for this because right now, everyone I game with is somebody I enjoy. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have time to read their email and remember stuff, it's okay. We can have that. 10, 15 minute recap at the beginning of the session to talk about what happened and where we're going. Because once they're at the table, they're at the table. That's what I really care about. I have done things in the past where as a GM, I have emailed my players questions about things I want to know about their characters and what their characters want so I can better craft the game towards them because I'm all about the characters. Mm-hmm. The world is there. It's whatever. I'm about the story. I want the ensemble cast. And sometimes I'll get people who will email me back, you know, a nicely written several paragraphs detailing what they want. And then I'll get people who I can't. It's like getting it's getting blood from a stone. Mm-hmm. I just cannot get them to respond. And you have to find a way to balance your effort with the game with what they they can give you for the game without just excluding them yeah you can have your players that are your your rainmakers and your people you know you can throw stuff at and they'll respond to awesomely but you don't want to ignore everyone else at the table for that because that just makes it it compounds the issue and makes them even less interested in the game Mm -hmm. so you can do recaps by email but you can't count on everyone to be able to take the time to read them during their their week the other thing that I was going to bring up is I have not done this myself, but friend of the show, Brandon Stoddard, in his campaign, he has in his Discord, there is like a, a channel for scheduling games. And then there's a channel for basically characters to mention what happened, because that is a round robin game where there's different people going on adventures every time it's scheduled and we all belong to the same mercenary company. So that is kind of recapping not just what someone did in their adventure, but also, hey, we were at that tomb that we we're exploring and um, <laughs> there's this thing there now. So you might want to look out for that, which is really kind of an interesting addition to normal recaps because things are moving behind the scenes, even when you're not playing. All right. How does having a bigger gap between game sessions affect what information you want to recap? 
I wanted to bring up, so my groups, we tend to, especially with the City of Cal's campaign, we have taken long breaks between chapters of the game. As you said, that requires a different type of recap to get everyone back up to speed for the start of the campaign. Now, this is a campaign that everyone is highly invested in and loves, so it doesn't take all that much anymore. But when I restart my Depths of Zendrick campaign, we're going to have to have a longer conversation about why you're here, what happened in the past, you know, what types of things are going to be coming up again in the future. These are all things we really need to dig into. Now, if you've got a game that you are trying to play every other week and life gets in the way <laughs> and it's been a month and a half since you last played. Mm -hmm. Okay, that also requires a little bit more of a recap. Um, I was supposed to be playing a game tonight, but we missed Christmas because <laughs> it was Christmas. And then after New Year's, I was sick. And then the week after New Year's, I was still sick. <laughs> and then this week, one of the other players is sick. Well, yeah, not only is it the holiday season, it is also the you're going to hit get hit with some kind of crud season. So <laughs> let's just call it Flovid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think is handy is if you have a certain campaign framework, sometimes that makes your um, your recapping a little bit easier for all of you, except for, you know, when you guys started doing your your side quest to you know resolve all of your personal things. Most of the time. The beginning of the recap is you're doing a job for your Azazah. Yeah. You work for the dragon ruler of this region of the dragon empire. So it's not that hard to remember, okay, whatever we're doing, we're doing because our boss told us to do it. We were told to do this. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes it is important to know some nuance to what you're doing, but it does kind of feel like, you know, having that framework makes it a little easier to jump back in sometimes. And I, Honestly, I I think we did need a little bit more recapping when when we missed a session when everybody was kind of doing their own personal resolution to things too. Yeah, because as you said, you tend to focus on what is important to your character. If you are recapping as a player, you focus on what is important to your character. So the bits that are important to other people may not make it into your notes as strongly. <laughs> We, we touched on this before, but this really got me to thinking about, do you want the responsibility for a recap to be on someone that isn't the GM? I will say I like when the players are the, the note takers, but I don't want to force anyone to do that. Mm -hmm. Having been in an administrative assistant <laughs> position and being forced to take minutes in a meeting, that sucks. Yes. You can't participate in the me the meeting because you're too busy taking notes. Um, so I don't want to force anyone to do that. But I am highly appreciative of the players who do like to take notes. Um, we had you in the, the Storm King's Thunder game mm -hmm. taking your notes as Nagrat from his perspective, which was fantastic. <laughs> um, we've had the same thing in the City of Cowles campaign where Modrin has a journal that he keeps uh, his notes in from his perspective, which is pretty fascinating. Other people have taken taken notes, but it's not anything I would want to force anyone to do. I, I still feel like 
no matter how much we say that players, it shouldn't just be up to the GM to manage everybody's fun and do all the jobs in the group. I still feel like recapping is primarily the job of the GMs. Even if you have players taking those notes and doing those things, if nothing else, like if somebody takes some notes and they miss something or they were wrong and it's important, you need to be paying attention to their recap to say, no, that actually wasn't how that worked. I, I will say that it is very important to ask the group what they remember about what happened last time. Mm-hmm. I love the, so where did we park uh, <laughs> type of recap? Because it'll give you it'll give you what stuck out to the players the last time they played, which can be important to you as GM because it'll mean like, oh, either that was really good or really bad, so I need to figure out whether or not to do that again. Or it gives you the plot points that they're most interested in. Mm -hmm. And when they do get something wrong, it allows me to figure out, okay, they have this plot point backwards. Can I let them leave it that way and just move forward with it as they remember it? Yeah. Did I give them the wrong information? Do I need to correct this? See, that's an interesting thing to me because that kind of goes back to that whole old school versus modern mentality because you would read like if you read like first edition, even some second edition sources talking about running a game. If your players got the wrong idea about something, you let them keep the wrong idea. You know, it's their job. (laughs) This was their job to figure something out. So if they're walking into their own demise because they got something backwards, that's their problem. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. I can't do that to people, especially I think there's another thing is because in that old school mindset, it was the player got it wrong, but I always stop and think, but their wizard has an 18 intelligence and they were researching, you know, some magical artifact. The character did not get it wrong. There's also the issue of perspective and understanding. I use an example of, it was a kind of a modern horror game where the characters were all Basically, they were playing a reality TV show, game show, to save their souls from the devil. Mm -hmm. The way the game was being played, I kept running into these speed bumps because the GM's idea of the reality of that situation didn't align with my vision of what that situation should be. Mm -hmm. So my understanding of it didn't align with what the GM's understanding of it was, which ended up being some, I mean, I, it was a fun game, Mm -hmm. but it was still like, oh, okay. I could never play a campaign like this because my understanding of reality doesn't align with the GM's understanding of reality for this particular situation. Mm -hmm. As somebody who likes true crime, there are times when I play games and the GMs will put a murder mystery in front of us and I'll start asking all of these questions <laughs> and they are totally unprepared for the fact that my obsessions are gaming and murder. <laughs> it's also kind of interesting to me because I've seen a, you know situations where I cannot visualize what the GM is trying to explain. And then months or years later, I'll watch a movie or a TV show and see where they got the idea from. And I'll be like, oh, Oh, I had another situation happen. It was a a modern paranormal agency group, kind of like X-Files type of thing, but much more focused on the, like the weird stuff was more known. Mm -hmm. And we had an incident in this location and there was all sorts of, I don't know, ectoplasmic goo all over the place. And I'm like, 
oh, can we do? Can we call in a cleanup crew? <laughs> and the GM's like, you want to call in a cleanup crew? Well, you can do that if you want to. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, dude, I think we need somebody to come in here and clean up this situation. If that is not what you are thinking, you need to explain it to me because my character is a professional. Yeah. She knows what you're talking about. I don't. From Just from what you were saying, I'm thinking, is he thinking you're going to call like service pro instead of like a government agency that takes care of this sort of stuff? No, he thought we were going to call in assassins to take care of all the witnesses. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's not what I'm doing. I just want somebody to come in here and clean up the ectoplasmic goo. <laughs> Uh, someone that's speaking in thieves can't that you're you're not picking up what you're, they're actually saying there. <laughs> this needs to go away. This comes down <laughs> to the assumed competency of the character. Yeah, there are games where you play where you've got peasants picking up an, a sword for the first time and may not know what they're doing, but most of the time we are playing games where the characters are experienced in the world that they're living in and they should know more than the player does. So. If the player is about to do something that the character would know is stupid, let them know that. Don't let them do something stupid just because you as the GM shouldn't fare with what the player chooses to do. Yeah. Okay, so let's circle back to VTTs and how you can use them as tools for recapping. What are some of your thoughts on that? So it depends on the VTT, but a lot of them have great ability to be repositories of information. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, those, those NPC lists that tell you who you've met and who they are, those are, can be fantastic in VTTs. In uh, City of Cowls, which we've been playing in Roll20, but maybe switching to something else because the GM is very pissed at Roll20 <laughs> right now. Um, we have a great list in the journal uh, with all of the NPCs we've involved in. Shard has a fantastic journal which lets the players take their own notes and share them with everyone else in the group. Mm-hmm. So it is a great way to, it, it's funny. Shard doesn't have the ability to have like that list of NPCs that the players can continually reference, but there's that journal that players can keep that they can always reference for their own notes, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, I'm primarily using roll 20 and yes, I, it can be a pain in the rear end at times. <laughs> Um, but it, you can do things like make handouts, you know, that everybody can see. So they click on that and they see, you know, what's in the handout. This thing that's happened like the last two sessions that we played in our game, like we ended on a cliffhanger both times. So everybody is where they're meant to be. Everybody is lined up, you know, ready f- yep. to fight the chimera. And everybody is lined up this time seeing the Cthulian fish monsters coming up out of the uh, <laughs> out of the water at them. Yeah, you don't have to do the old fashioned uh, old fashioned, it's not old fashioned. You still had a smartphone. Was it- Take a picture of the, uh-huh. the, the mat so you know where everybody is. That's not old fashioned. That's just in the recent past, Ange. Ten years ago. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, one of the other things that I noticed that's kind of handy for me, like if you have that cliffhanger, I can roll all of the monsters initiative. And that's just, you know, then I'm not stopping all of you when we're getting ready to go. And saying, okay, I got to roll this one. I got to roll this one. So I can have that in there and ready to go as soon as all of you show up. Shard's fantastic because it does all of that for you. (laughs) Like you just have the encounter set up. It adds your PCs. They roll their initiative and everyone's initiative is in there. 
telling you, I just, I so wish they could get a license to do the official D and D stuff. I know that's the hardest thing with it, but you can import characters from D and D beyond. So from a player's side, it's not as terrible as, you know, it would seem if you don't have access to the core material. It's not that hard to set stuff up. I mean, I did it and I'm not that astute with that type of stuff. I need to to look at that some more because I'm so used to like building monsters in Roll20 now too because like even if there's not a Roll20 version of something if I see a monster, I can just open up a monster and plop it into Roll20 and it works the way I want it to because I know what needs to be populated where. Part of the frustration Tristan has been having with Roll20 is he'll do things like he'll set up the monsters and then one will be defeated and he'll delete it to take it off the board and then yes. deletes all of that type of monster yes. out of the initiative tracker. And I have run into that. Yes. I've run into that and realized like two rounds after none of these other characters have been doing anything and suddenly going, wait, none of these people yeah. have been doing anything. Oh, they aren't in the initiative anymore. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the other things I was going to bring up, though, was something that you had done for our Coriolis game, and that is to have the backdrop with information on it. Like when people first come in there and it's basically like a landing page that you can summarize information and just have it sitting there for everybody. My, I learned that from my friend who is running our prequel to our old Tiamat game. Uh, we're playing the characters as teenagers. He's an elf, so he's not a teenager, but he's not an adult yet, so you know what I mean. <laughs> and we're kind of playing how those characters met, and we're using Fate instead of D&D, but it's still a D&D setting, but we have a, a kind of a landing page that has all of that information on it that we're mostly using. You know, I just realized that if I were an elf or a dwarf, I would be a young adult right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and remind myself of that. <laughs> you were an elf, you wouldn't even be an adult yet. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be considered completely responsible for yourself. Dwarves are a little more, ah, get out there, kid. Yeah, I I think 50 is when they actually have to start taking responsibility <laughs> for stuff when you're a dwarf. I can handle that. Like, yeah, I'm 50 now. Now I'm actually an adult, finally. That was actually <laughs> one of the things we ran into with the, the prequel game, because I'm playing a dragonborn, and I had forgotten that dragonborn as far as the book is concerned, have shorter lifespans. So are adults by the time they're like 13 or 15. And I'm like, I don't want to play a 10 year old. That just doesn't seem right. I'm not sure where that, where that comes from other than that in a lot of dragonborn lore, they're a created species that dragons made out of someone. Yeah. You know, so that's the only thing I can really think of to where this thing that is part dragon is actually aging and very rapidly. We hand waved it and decided they have a lifespan similar to humans. So she's like 16, 17 instead and more like an actual teenager instead of a, wait, what do you mean I'm 10? That doesn't make any sense. I know. And it's always weird to me because I have seen various species. I know we're going off on a complete tangent here. <laughs> But the, every time I see a D&D species that has, like, I don't have a problem with elves being 100 years old and being a first level character. I know there's people that have a problem with that. And I don't, that, that is not what bothers me. What bothers me is when, like, like you said, like goblins are supposed to be mature at eight years old. And it's like, that just feels weird. I can't wrap my brain around that. It feels strange. Mm -hmm. So 
bringing this back to our topic, are there any uh, last words you have about recapping? Be kind and be generous with your recapping. You know, you got to understand when you're hitting that too long didn't read level of information, uh, but you still want to be kind and generous with it to give your players enough information that they can play the game confidently and excitedly. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the, uh, the only other thing I would say is if you are using a written medium to recap, try and write things in like bullet points, because if someone <laughs> sees like, like three important things in a paragraph, one of those things may not sink in. You may, you can write that wall of text for your own edification, but you need to distill it down to bullet points for your players. Yeah. Bullet points are your friends and your players friends. Yeah. <laughs> time for rest you two get on with your downtime research so moving into downtime research every episode we're going to look at something related to D that we want to pass along to our listeners it might be products websites videos podcasts but it'll always be something we think will enhance your D experience i started playing baldur's gate 3 <laughs> i'm so excited about this i know i'm late to the game Okay, I haven't started yet, so this is funny watching you uh, jump on board and having all these messages waiting for me when you talk about things you just did. I got access to a PS5 around Thanksgiving, uh, and first I had to replay Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West so I could play the Burning Shores DLC properly. And I just finished that the end of last week. And over the weekend, I installed Baldur's Gate 3, and I've made my TAV and started <laughs> playing, and I have, I am enjoying it. And I have some article ideas brewing in the back of my head for Gnome Stew. Uh, but one of the things I thought was interesting is there's a point where I came across a thing, and it looked dangerous and weird and magical, and I could interact with it, and it's like, do you reach out? And there was part of my brain that was like, if this were a D&D game in the 80s or the 90s, this would be a trap where the GM was going to kill me. <laughs> oh, wait, it's not then. And you only live once and I can reload my safe. Okay, yes, I reach out. And it's how you get one of your companions. Yeah. But I could have missed it if I decided to play in that paranoid, don't touch anything idea that some players got from playing in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Show me on the doll where the DM hurt you. What's funny to me is I have seen the, I don't think I have seen this in a video game before. I see so many things where the voice actors for Baldur's Gate are posting it uh, in different, you know, that, you know, people have interviews with them and they're making, they're making their own videos in character and posting them. And it's just been really funny watching that, especially from the outside where I'm going, okay, I, I kind of know that's the Githyanki. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the actor who play who voices Astarian won Voice Actor of the Year at the Game Awards, <laughs> so he's doing something right. <laughs> I love his little side comments. I don't even need him in the party because I'm playing a bard, so I can pick locks my own, but I still have him with me because he makes the most delightful side commentary. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about Dragon Age, was if you had the right people in the party... And you got them like bickering or, you know, yeah. it was great. <laughs> I will say it is a game for mature players. I, I think there are some settings where you can put it so it's not as 
thirsty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a it is a game made by Europeans. They don't hold back on the horniness. Okay. <laughs> so if you are a a a, a gentle innocent american you may be surprised at some of the things that are available in this game <laughs> all right on that note we'll we'll talk about another adult uh D related thing so one fantasy comic that i have loved in the last few years is rat queens and it is a comic that follows a group of women adventurers in a very D ish fantasy setting there is a huge helping of mature content and humor in the setting but there's also some great character arcs like the party's cleric D coming to terms with her youth in a cult or Vi, the party's dwarf fighter who's rejecting, you know, her father's traditional views on dwarven women. And the last, the last year was the 10th anniversary of the comic. And the final rat queen story was published last summer. However, in February, there is going to be a rat queens omnibus coming out with every single issue of the comic collected. And I've only ever owned the digital versions of the comics, and I'm really looking forward to having all of them physically. I need to know about this when it's available. I know. it's. I, I, I may have a birthday in February where I could <laughs> leverage getting some things like that as a present. <laughs> I love Rat Queen so much. I mean, it. Like I, I am shocked that there are not more D&D memes based on things that happened in Rat Queen. <laughs> All right, we're happily part of the Misdirected Mark Production Network, so we wanted to give a shout out to another MMP show. If you're enjoying our show, also consider checking out Misdirected Mark Plays. Phil, Chris, Bob, and Jerry play and discuss a campaign they've created and are playing. Now, instead of just hearing them talk about the theory of gaming and game mastering, you can actually hear what they do at the table. It's come full circle in their exploratory play series, MM Plays. And and Ange only gave it two M's, which is more than you know I did last time I tried to read that. So. Mm, plays. <laughs> all right, we've used up all of our resources, so I think it's time for a long rest. I hope this adventure was rewarding for you. We hope you'll go exploring with us when we start our next adventure. <laughs>